Thanks for tuning in to the Writers of Color Reading Series, a podcast presented by the Englert Theater and hosted by me, Chuy Rentadilla. All right. And just, just so you know, Akwi, just so I, I put it out there, this is like the very first. I don't know if Savannah, Savannah told you, but this is like the first we're doing for recording recording session for the Writers of Color Reading Series. So I'm excited. That's perfect. Yeah, and yeah. And a little nervous. No, I am a little nervous. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's all good. It's nice to be able to talk with you. You're a familiar voice, and I always appreciate getting a chance to talk with you about, about writing and about art. So this is good. Hello, everyone. Uh, you are listening to the Writers of Color reading series uh, presented by The Englert. I'm your host, Chuy Renteria, and this is our first ever episode. And today, we are. I have the privilege to be joined by um, Akwi Nimji. Akwi uh, is a multidisciplinary artist and writer. Um, uh, she has hats in, in many different expressions and local scenes. Uh, she describes herself as um, Cameroonian American artist created in creating words, performance, visual art. Uh, her work explores the intersectionality of race, gender, and concepts of geographical and spiritual home. Akwi, it is a pleasure to speak with you. It is a pleasure to speak with you, Chewie. I'm absolutely honored and and excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And and I just I just want to say, um, you know, now that we got like the uh, formal introduction uh, out of the way, I, I just want to say you are one of the people that I, I, I look for inspiration in our local scene. And it's almost, it's kind of crazy that we didn't meet. I think I knew about you, like the, the way that Iowa City and, and Cedar Rapids works. It's like we knew about each other, but it wasn't until the last couple of years where we intersected. Yeah. And it's almost, it's kind of crazy because we can talk about it where we were going to do, I don't know if you remember this, but we were going to do a truth be told right before everything stopped with the pandemic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and we were introduced to one another through Rob Klein. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He was working on a piece for me and wanted to tell your story really is what, it, and he'd asked you permission um, to be able to tell your story. And then eventually you and I were able to finally connect and, and you were able to tell your own stories on stage. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that that's yeah, that's another thing that I appreciated. Um, but yeah, if you want to, if you can tell the listeners uh, that are tuning, tuning in like a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your work and, you know, how we got to know each other. Yeah. So I have been um, writing for, oh my goodness, at least 20 years. I mean, really like writing, you know, I started writing creatively in, in high school, but um, really thinking, thinking of it as, as a profession or an, as an element of what I do professionally has been 20 years now, starting with poetry, starting by um, double majoring in journalism and English at Iowa, actually, and um, just recognizing that over the years, more and more, I wanted to write words um, intentionally written to be heard rather than experienced on the page. And so really for the last 15 years, uh, 12 years or so, I've been writing primarily words that are meant to be heard versus experienced on the page, which is eventually how you and I met. I founded The Hook, a nonprofit organization 
in its original iteration um, to tell the true stories of our community as artistic adaptations for the stage. And over the years, we produced dozens and dozens and dozens of events, both um, in Iowa City and in Cedar Rapids, eventually to Decorah um, and in other parts of the state. And so really just trying to be both a, a writer and um, a, a curator of writing, a curator of arts um, content, and then also creating spaces and opportunities for other people, regardless of their experience, regardless of their um, what they would say is their um, experience level or, or skill level, giving them an opportunity to just grow as writers and to create community through writing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that resonates so much with me. And I think everybody here on this team, when we when we started having initial discussions about this, you know, what this writer, uh, you know, um, writers of color reading series can look like. And I think we, we got on the same the exact same page you got to where it's like, you know, we could just highlight already established writers or we could really speak to. Iowa City, Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Des Moines, like the, our local communities and how we can, you know, give people a platform and, and elevate them. So, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate your, your your outlook on that as well. Yeah. And that really was, I mean, props to SPT Theater here in Cedar Rapids, because they were the ones who originally um, opened up their arms to me creatively in a way that really no one else had before them um, to say, yes, go ahead and try your words on stage, try your poetry, try your personal narrative storytelling. And that was before people in this area really knew very much about the moth even. And so them giving me an opportunity um, to truly grow into my purpose, to truly grow into my own unique um, expression of literature through words on the stage was what made me feel like it was incredibly important to be able to provide that opportunity for other people. Again, like you say, regardless of, um, I mean, there's so many opportunities for people who are established, for people whose platforms are already quite significant. And uh, it's just important to to help people come get through the ranks, you know? And, and I think, frankly, like more and more in the last year or two, um, as people start to talk more about their own experiences, professional writers talking about their experiences, we've seen, we've heard undeniable information um, about how unfairly writers of color are um, are treated in relation to in in relation to their their white counterparts, even in terms of compensation. So. You know, it happens behind closed doors. Finally, we're talking about it and without opportunities like this to really give writers of color a chance to to talk about their work. And, um, you know, we, we need to be there for each other. So, yeah. Yeah. I always say it, it, it it's if we just the if we just assume the best out of our already established institutions and organizations when it comes to, you know, highlighting and uplifting specifically like you know, people of color and their story. Like it, I mean, it hasn't really happened. It's like, it's up to us to, to really do that. So yeah, I definitely, I, I'm on the same page there as well. I think it's really fascinating what you said about the idea of you, you wanted to, you know, your, your stories to specifically have them be to read, to be read aloud, to be read from the stage. And it reminds me of while 
you know, like we described earlier where, you know, I met you and through Rob Klein and, and then I started to, I started to find myself in that, that form of expression as well. And speaking from a pers- personal perspective, it's really interesting to, to, I saw my, my writing change and I saw how when you write something for somebody to read, it's so different than when you write something that you know you're going to perform. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's it's just a different way of writing. It's a different voice. It's a different um, cadence sometimes, you know. Um, it's a different, I think, pace in terms of the, the language, the syntax. But even just in general beyond that, what I would say, like originally, I was most interested in writing for writing for performance, but writing words meant to be heard for two reasons. Number one, I'm a perfectionist at heart. And writing for the live performance experience forced me out of perfectionism. And also, um, I'm not especially interested in permanency. I think as human beings, we get too invested in and um, worship the idea of permanency, right? right? Like things need to be first as perfect as I can get them. And then I need to preserve them in that state of perfection. And um, writing words that are meant to be heard, um, especially in the live experience, for me is a way to relieve myself of that need for perfection and also to recognize the impermanent nature of what it means to be alive and what it means to be human. And a lot of times what I write is there's a pretty quick turnaround time, you know, rather than waiting for a publication date where it's years or months or, you know, how long have you been working on <laughs> your book, for instance, right? Too long. Um, <laughs> but you're getting there. It'll, it'll get there. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to um, respond pretty quickly to timely events. And this is just the way that I've been able to, to do that. But also there's something about the oral tradition and um, the role of the griot because of my Cameroonian heritage that I'm deeply interested in and inspired by. So that's part of it for me too. That, I mean, talk about a, like a perfect segue. So the, the, the piece that you're, you're presenting today, it, everything you just said reminds me of that because y- y- it embraces, cause you said that, um, you know, you're working with Leslie Nolte and doing it's it's sort of like a multidisciplinary piece that you can speak on and and it, it reminds me of dance everything you just said like all my background as a dancer like if you talk about like you know something that's like impermanent it's dancer's body in a space going through so yes yeah, yeah and that immediacy as well it's like when you when before we started recording, when we were trying to figure out, you know, if, if it's this piece or a different one, I, I, you know, in the brief snippet you showed for us, it's like, oh no, the, the immediacy of that piece and the response to, you know, not only everything that's happened in the past few months, but, you know, everything leading up to this, I think is, is really important. And there's a, a timelessness to some of the work, of course, right? It's, um, it's both timely and, and unfortunately timeless in some ways as well, that these are themes when it comes to racism, when it comes to the objectification of the body, when it comes to just civil rights and human rights, there are unfortunately elements of those themes that are timeless. Yeah, there, there's a, 
an, a really interesting thing, and I'll, I'll see if I could put this all together in my brain. But there's there's something about these two threads that we have going on. This idea of you know writing to 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 read aloud, um, and and I think another piece of that is is writing for a direct audience, which you know in this pandemic, socially distant age, like I mean, we could go into a whole another conversation about trying to maintain our expression through screens and avatars right but it's like being on stage and telling your story and then the piece that you you're you're presenting for this episode about you know objectifying bodies or or just uh, you know our history with that it's like there's something about that where i think a lot of writers think that like no i can just write my my words in a book and get it out there or on in an article but it's like the fact that we're performing on stage whether you're performing your stories or there's dancers on stage like we have to have a relationship with the audience and a lot of times if you're a person of color what how do you feel if you're performing to a crowd and you know it's a diverse crowd versus how do you feel when you're performing to a crowd and it's a thousand white people Oh man, Chewy. Okay, so that's how I <laughs> like that's how I started. Was I, when I started performing my words and my stories, which um, I did not shy away from the topic of racism. I was literally performing to all white audiences, and um, and that was an interesting early uh, experience. Just because you know, I you walk on stage, you are automatically an other. You're automatically different than, right? And so at times I had to be intentional about structure. I wanted to be intentional. I didn't have to be. I wanted to be intentional about structuring the writing in such a way that I first designed a, a mirror with my words so that even though the immediate reaction would be to see me as different, through my words pretty quickly, they saw me as very similar to them, right? Like whatever human experience it is that I'm talking about, I want to first recognize that there are shared human experiences that transcend um, gender identity, that transcend race, that transcend all of these um, um, different categories within which we place ourselves. So then once you get that out of out of the way, now let me talk about how we're different, right? But frankly, I've also outgrown that. Like, especially in the last year and a half, I have realized, like, truly, I, I am writing for myself. I'm writing for my daughters. I'm writing for the truest version of myself. And when I left my most recent full-time job, I thought I was going to be spending a lot of my time working on a, a book of poems. And when I sat down to actually start working on it, it was there was such a an adverse reaction to the work that I thought, where is this coming from? And in the last year, I've been doing a lot of excavating of like, what is my relationship with the written word really? And why has it gotten to that point? And it goes back to seventh grade. My language arts teacher in seventh grade, I was in Springville and it was a, a difficult childhood in small town Springville as um, the my sister and I were the only two people of color in the community. I was constantly reminded of that. And I was constantly reminded that I was an other, you know, and uh, seventh grade te language arts teacher assigned 
something that I thought would be finally my opportunity to shine. I knew that I that writing was something that um, was important to me. And she assigned um, her assignment was to write a poem that incorporated metaphor. And instead of writing a poem, I wrote a book. <laughs> and I illustrated the book. And because this was finally an opportunity for me to really dig into something that excited me and something that I felt like I could show I was worthy of love in this community, right? And um, she and I remember being just that anticipation of getting the projects back. Like she's going to be so excited that I went above and beyond. And she handed the projects back to students. And um, I remember getting mine and I wanted to wait until I got out of the classroom because I knew it was going to make me so happy to see her glowing comments. And um, I flipped through the book and I'm like, where, where are the comments? And there were no comments except for on the last page of the book. She wrote in the book, didn't even bother to use just a post-it note, black is not a color in the rainbow. And the metaphor I was using was the rainbow in the context of humanity. And so, um, oh my God. I, like, like this isn't a video podcast, so you people can't see my face, but like I, my jaw literally dropped. Like, oh, okay. yes, wow. he, it was like a smack, right? Yeah, like, right. Oh. Let me let me remind you of you who you are and what your place is. It is not here, and you will not ever belong. Is what is what it said to me, and she knew that. Like either she had no idea what her assignment actually was and didn't understand her own assignment, or she knew exactly what she was saying to me in the context of my humanity. And frankly, it's it's that it is that moment that uh, continues to inform my relationship with words, my relationship with the written word, and my relationship with embracing, celebrating, speaking out for my own identity in the context of words. That's amazing. I have my own story that echoes, that that resonates with me. I mean, it'd be interesting. I bet you that could be a running question. It's like, how many, you know, speaking to artists of color, like, what's your childhood, like, traumatic experience where a teacher yeah. did that smack in the face that, you know, and e- even that, that dichotomy that you described where it's like, it, it could be really, it could be horrible in two different ways like did they know they were doing it like is it just overt or is it like Mm -hmm. so systemic and ingrained that they don't even which is like even I don't want to say worse but it's like it's horrible in its own way so so many of us have those similar stories so many of us have those moments that truly shape who we are and um how much of our lives do we spend trying to um transcend those moments transcend that trauma and uh, I think it, the fact that that I know I'm not alone, right, is is um, in and of itself um, evidence that we really do need to number one feel empowered in our words, and then work to empower others because the the rest of the world will not do it for us. There you go. Thank you so much for for talking for taking the time and talking with us. Um, if you are allowed to say what this project is called or any other projects that uh, the people out there should look out for. Or if you have any, um, I mean, I'm sure we'll, you know, do all your social media, like 
in in the copy for the the posts that we do. But if there's anything you want to speak on, go ahead. Putting some context around this particular piece that I'm sharing with you and the and the listeners. Um, so this is a piece that was a collaborative effort um, between uh, Humanize My Hoodie and Leslie Nolte. And it was it's a piece that incorporates my words. And then Leslie Nolte chose the music and then created choreography and her dancers danced to this piece. And there were some interesting sort of parameters that I had to work with. It, it needed to be two minutes long, no, no more, no less really. And then um, the music is what I was working with. And then I also knew that the race and the gender of the group of dancers needed to inform this piece. And so this was actually a piece that premiered at New York Fashion Week. And since then, I've recognized that it's it's a it's a piece that I want to use as a springboard for what my my next work is that I'm currently starting, and it'll be um, a significant piece of of performance work that incorporates words, music, choreographed dance, and this is the springboard for that work. So I'm really, really, really excited about this particular direction that I'm taking, um, not only with this piece, but with my my work and my desire to be collaborative with other artists as well. And we're excited to be able to to give a platform to to this piece and to you. And once again, thank you. And and let's take a listen. There was first a nation birthed, and then the nation birthed a word, and another, and another, until each word strung loosely together, delivered a sentence, became a lash-dancing ancient choreography, became a moment of silence, became a hymn. Do you hear? The words turned into lashes with the power to take breath from the body. Can you see how a word becomes a death sentence? Dancing ancient choreography, a sentence. A sentence. A lash, a silence, a hymn. breath, the body, the breath, the body, the body, the body, the body that was his body until it was made, suddenly a ravaged field with soft bleeding sunset of skin. Can you see the smoke rising, the breath rising? The word rising into him. Here is the bounty, the bruised fruit, the body, the body, his body rising, the nation rising, rising into uprising, into uprising, into uprising.
thanks again to Akoyenji for joining us today. Now, before we close out the episode, I wanted to introduce a segment with the attention of involving everyone at home, the listener, right? So what we're going to do is, based on today's conversation, we want to leave you with a prompt or a question or a call to action, however you want to look at it. And we'd like you to respond for your own personal reflection. And if you would like, you can submit those reflections back to us um, for the chance to be featured in future episodes. You can submit your audio or written responses to podcasts at englert.org. In today's episode, I kept on going back to Aki's story about that feedback she received as a, as a child from her teacher, right? Black is not a color in the rainbow. I think it's a testament to her resilience that she was able to overcome that as an adult, but I kept on thinking, if I could, what would I say to a young Akui, right? Or other children like her who you know are going through the same type of struggle? I mean, how could I even begin to address the, the callousness of this teacher, right? How would I try to give a young Akui hope while acknowledging the, to, to put it bluntly, the systemic white supremacy that we face? And that we and Akwi and people like us are going to encounter throughout our lives, right? And so that's what I want the listeners to think about while they're, they're responding to this prompt. If your words could go back in time and reach a young Akwi after her teacher gave her that feedback, what would you say to her? How would you say it? What is your response to black is not a color in the rainbow? Feel free to respond in whatever way you feel is right. It could be prose, it could be just a simple answer, it could be poetry. I mean, whatever comes out, we'll take it. We look forward to hearing your responses and we'll be back next week. Until then, have a good one. For this podcast comes from Friends of the Englert. To learn more, visit englert.org slash friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peers United States Regional Arts and Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.